Unconquerable. Number 385. December 2017. Welcome everybody to The Incomparable. This is Chip Sutterth. I am one of the hosts of This Week in Time Travel and... When you get a bunch of Doctor Who fans in a room, we start wanting to talk about not just Doctor Who, but other low-budget, built-on-a-shoestring uh, media productions, which is why we're here to talk about Star Wars The Last Jedi, an all-Hoovian panel of podcasting luminaries around the table, left to right. It's virtual space. It's not really around the table, left to right. Alyssa Frankie, my co-host on This Week in Time Travel. Hello, Alyssa. The Last Jedi budget makes Doctor Who look like a student production on an iPhone. What are you talking about? My co-host on The Audio Guide to Babylon 5, she is also the producer of Verity and one of the co-hosts of the Incomparable Network's Lazy Doctor Who. Hello, Erica Ensign. Porg. Porg, porg, porg. <laughs> How was that? It's more like a... That screech you just heard was from Radio Free Scarrow, Warren Fry. Pork breeding is expensive work. And to round things out, he is also from Radio Free Scarrow, as well as Lazy Doctor Who and Hockey Feels. Give it up for Stephen Chapansky. May the force be with us, everyone. Oh, oh, isn't that cute? <laughs> Timely. I'm feeling the feels. So yeah, we're all Doctor Who fans, but we're also Star Wars fans. Before we get much further into this, let's uh, let's set expectations. What did you all think? Generally speaking, did you like it? And what was the thing that? What was the biggest takeaway that you had from seeing this movie? I loved it, and I loved it because it decided to go. You know, all this mythology. The hell with it. I was super happy to see that. Oh wow, you're you're going the iconoclastic burn it all down to the ground route, huh? Not burn it all down to the ground, but definitely give it a haircut, which is what they did. So <laughs> How do you give the force a haircut? Well, you just watch you watch the movie, it's all there for you. Nah. If you believe, Chip, if you believe. That's not how the force works. <laughs> you can hear if you, you might be able to hear sirens outside, they're coming to arrest me. Of yeah. course. Of course. It's the fan patrols. We'll get to that in just a moment. Steven, what about you? I loved it. I, I don't think there was quite the sense of novelty as The Force Awakens had for me, but um, it was really, really good, and I am really looking forward to seeing it a second, third, and fourth time at least and in the probably theater. probably fifth. Hmm. Erica, will you be accompanying him on this journey? And did you accompany him to this place of appreciation? Um, I, I definitely need to see it again. I don't know if I want to see it four times. <laughs> oh dear is that a is that an evaluation as well as a prediction um i when we went to see it i was not in a great place mentally uh so you know i, I have to keep that in mind but i'm, I'm going to circle back to that in a second because it actually uh is an important an important thing so we came out of the theater and i could point to a ton of things that i thought were great i loved this part uh you know that joke was great the thing they did with this character was wonderful like all of these little pieces of things that i quite liked but the experience of watching it, just there were multiple times when I thought to myself, my God, this movie is really long. And there were multiple places where I was like, oh, we're going back to this. 
So the experience of watching it as a film was maybe not the most enjoyable thing I've ever had. And like I said, part of that might have been just because I was not in a, in a great place mentally and emotionally. However, in the past, Star Wars movies have always been uh, been immune to that and been able to sort of lift me out of that. And I'm even including episode one, gosh darn it. Wow. So <laughs> the fact that that didn't happen here, um, like I want to see this movie again because I liked the parts of it and because I need to evaluate it and see what I really, really think about it, as opposed to, uh, you know, say that like The Force Awakens, I wanted to see it again because I wanted it to take me away from all of the the bad feels that I was having and just escape into this this universe. And this movie did not feel like escape for me. There's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. And we will get to it. Alyssa, Mm -hmm. how about you? I loved it. Uh, This for me is one of my favorite Star Wars movies ever. And I thought it was very well done. It was also one of those movies that sat with me for a while. I am still turning over parts of it in my head to re-examine it and pull it apart. And I'm looking forward to seeing it at least three times in theaters because I feel like I've now had the first initial totally new to it experience of watching it the first time and being surprised by everything. I now want the second experience to see where things are coming and to look at different parts of the movie with that perspective. And then the third time to really, you know, soak in the themes of it. Um, Because I think one of the most impressive things about this movie was how it completely subverted a lot of what you would expect to see from a Star Wars movie. And there's a lot of reflection on the overall message and theme of the entire Star Wars universe and what type of people that you expect to survive and thrive in that type of universe and, you know, what you expect to see from the growth and development of the Jedi and the Sith and the relationship of everybody to the Force. It was a really uh, fascinating, complicated movie, uh, and I'm just really looking forward to picking it all apart. And I'll round things off by saying that I see a lot of flaws in the movie, and yet it is my favorite Star War. There's something about it that is so sprawling and shambling and yet so big and audacious that it really speaks to me. And the characters seemed to be a lot more real to me this time around than in The Force Awakens. So I was surprised and delighted and occasionally just a little confused about where we are right now and how how we're going to get back to this thing And in the end, I do think that I was sitting in that theater a little while too long. But be that as it may, at the end of the movie, I was like, wow, that was a thing. Our reactions, you know, there's a spectrum of reactions here between Erica's guarded need to review it again and best episode ever. There was a range of reactions to this movie out in the world. And while The Incomparable is not known for dissecting fandom, we tend to prefer to dissect the stuff. I don't think we can get away with ignoring the elephant in the room, which is at the time of recording, which is right after the opening weekend. Box office has been phenomenal. Cinema score and ComScore, all of these professional polling outfits that uh, go in and scientifically measure audience reactions, they give the movie an A. They all like that. Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb and other sort of self-selected aggregators of audience response, the numbers are in the tank in some of these places, and 
the tweets are flying. What is going on with fan reaction to this movie? I've heard some of that is orchestrated by a small group of uh, angry, wait for it, drumroll, men. <laughs> so, this is my surprised face. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's not all of it, I'm sure. Like, some people probably just don't like the movie, but... Uh, but 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 a big part of it is people who don't like uh, how Ryan jo- is it Ryan or Rian Johnson Ryan Johnson Ryan. I'm assuming uh, mm-hmm. came in and kicked all their toys around which I think was great if I if I may expostulate for a second uh, one of the things I like most about this movie is that as somebody who saw this movie at age six first movie I ever saw in 1977 and has had it with me my whole life like many other people in that theater I like that it actually treated me like an adult and said you know what. Being a middle-aged person means you've had some screw-ups in your life, and you just got to deal with it. And they just tackled that head-on. I thought that, and I thought a fairly adult way. And I don't think a lot of people, like these guys, were freaking out. I don't think they like that because that means changing things up and going. It's not your movie anymore. It's it's for the kids, and it is for the kids. And the kids being in this case, Ray, Finn, and Poe, right? And so I like the fact that they're saying we're rearranging everything and we're taking this in a direction because. If you just go with the same old crap again, like which is part of my problem with TFA, it's a well put together, fun nostalgia trip. But I, I'm walking out of it, I'm like, well, that was fun, and I'll go see the next one. But if this is all there is, Star Wars, you're, you know, okay, I guess. Whereas this is now, now Star Wars has been new life has been breathed into it. They may screw it up, but at least they've done something new with it, uh, yeah. and at least they've done it in an adult way, especially with Luke. Yeah, I feel like they have opened it up in to to not only telling different, uh, you know, the stories of different people, but telling different kinds of stories. And, exactly. Yeah. And 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 yeah. And and while on the one hand, logically, you would think that hey, that's a great thing. That means that there are you know an exponentially larger number of types of stories that can be told in the Star Wars universe. That should be mm-hmm. a good thing. But at the same time, I, I can I can kind of understand how that could be a scary thing because that means, like you said, it's not necessarily all going to be the same kinds of stories that people were used to. And you know, I will raise my hand as a great big fan of nostalgia trips, but I'm I'm also at the same time really happy that we're getting new and different types of stories. Well, uh, and, so, and I loved Rogue One for that very reason. That it was a yeah. really excellently put together nostalgia trip. Better than TFA. I thought with TFA, I wanted to see something new because we got these this whole new cast and now we're getting that. But at the time, I was like, well, we got these new guys. Why isn't all this new? Why are we retreading the same old stuff? And uh, uh, and we that isn't happening anymore. With Rogue One, it, it's kind of necessary to do that as far as I'm concerned. Now, Steve and you and Erica saw TFA, what, 72 times? Something like that? <laughs> it was five. Five, five Sadly, times. it was only five. Yeah. And then Although, once, man, if they put that back in the theater, I will, I will be there again, probably five more times. Yeah. What do you think about the reaction to this movie? Uh, this is, this I, is I'm on thing. team critics and audience here, not so much on team IMDb. Uh, oh, yeah, same. This, this is the great thing about, like, I, I think, you know, because we're all Doctor Who podcasters, um, I, I'm sort of, like, compelled to see, sort of be more aware of fandom reactions and everything just because of the podcast we run. But the blissful thing about... Being a Star Wars fan and not having a podcast, for me anyway, is that I don't care what other people think about it. I don't (laughs) care what some nerd on YouTube thinks in his 30-minute screed against uh, what was wrong with uh, with The Last Jedi. Uh, Maybe just because when I was growing up... I would often sort of just play Star Wars toys, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> alone by myself, basically, or with a friend or something like that. So Star Wars has sort of always been kind of a personal experience for me. And so it's always sort of just been my own concern. And I've never really shared my thoughts and opinions with anyone else. So, so 
I was surprised that people, I heard that people were not liking it for, I still haven't delved into why. I mean, I'm not, I'm not opening that can of worms because it just feels like this is really spoiling the initial experience for me. And I, I walked away really enjoying that movie. Yeah, I didn't even know, honestly, about the Rotten Tomatoes and the IMDb uh, thing until you just told me about that now, I, I found out this way. Um, I watched, because sometimes I'll watch Mark Kermode's uh, reviews, and he quite liked it, and he's an excellent reviewer as far as I'm concerned. But because of the way YouTube's algorithm worked, my entire mm. side panel was his review and then every other, in quotes, review, which was almost all, if not all, angry dudes expostulating about how this how this franchise has been completely ruined just just a wall of them and so i was like oh, okay so that's how it is youtube algorithm thanks mm. great yeah i've also been seeing on twitter a lot of um my uh fandom friends who are women of color particularly been getting a lot of uh trolling and a lot of really derisive commentary because they're you know here talking um particularly about rose in this movie um and you know it's it's she's that character's in a really tricky spot because there is a part of that movie where thematically and in terms of editing, you can say the casino scene, you know, that that whole caper that they went on maybe could have been cut down. It was it was a long bit of the movie and that's where it sort of you know really started to to slow down i think that's where a lot of people are saying you know this is sort of where the plot's losing me here a little bit but it was also very much a scene in which you know for a while there there are entire scenes where there are only people of color talking and so a lot of the commentary that i've been seeing my um, fandom friends who are women of color been getting um is just straight up misogyny and racism of there's still a significant part of the backlash to the new trilogy that is people very upset that uh, people of color and women are being centered so prominently in these films. Taking the spotlight away from our original trilogy of characters on Luke and Leia and such. I mean, not even just that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of the arguments that you see on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes right now are saying that, you know, Star Wars has become, you know, the SJW film, and which is really flipping hilarious when you think of the fact that stormtroopers were the literal names for Nazis. Like, this has been an SJW film since the very beginning. (laughs) But it is interesting to see Star Wars kind of step up to the plate. And I would have said, like, only Star Trek was really you know, repping on that one. But now it's both of them, which is, I'm not obviously opposed to at all, but but it is interesting that Star Wars took that turn, which again, this is aimed at young people who are way more diverse than they used to be. So why wouldn't you do that? Right. Well, let's uh, put the fan reaction to bed for a bit and focus back on the movie itself. Now, the fan reaction was probably not quite so much about how the movie was made as about what the movie said. So I'd like to spend some time uh, talking about you know, what's going on in this movie in terms of the themes uh, of it. And then let's circle back and take a look at how well it was executed by Ryan Johnson, who wrote it with a script assist from Carrie Fisher and directed it. And it looks entirely different from Star Wars that I've seen before. But Warren, you've talked about this movie sort of undercutting or subverting a lot of, uh, a lot of, 
the last seven movies, even The Force well, Awakens. I mean, she she gives him the big uh, – Ray gives Luke the big lightsaber scene, and he immediately chucks it over his shoulder. And I was like, I'm in. I'm completely in. <laughs> <laughs> it, it reminded me of an Iron Man 3, another derided film, which I think is great, where uh, they, they you're, you think the Mandarin is going to be this evil guy. But no, it turns out he's just some quasi-drunk British actor. And they just keep going with it. I'm like, oh, no. No, they're going to keep going with this. They're, they're st- Awesome. I am totally on board. So I like that they from the beginning they basically said yeah all this reverence the hell with it I'm like and I was like cool fine sounds good and that by the way that reverence is not all gone because Leia is treated very reverentially and you know much as I like deride all the nostalgia I was a weeping wreck with the Luke and Leia scene like I was it was not pretty (laughs) so I I like that just going on on the uh, sort of the, <clears throat> the reverence and everything about how if if you were to just sort of tell like describe how the last jedi starts you know the rebels are on the run from the first order and ray is uh training on a, a remote location with a jedi master it's just like the empire strikes back it's almost yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly like that but then they take that and just completely twist it around and sort of like dispel with things as the movie goes along and by the end of it I'm thinking like I don't know where this is going I have no idea where this where movie 9 goes it's it's I think this this is sort of the sort of continuing on the the path of sort of like moving away from the feel and the sort of the the tropes and themes of the original uh, trilogy to sort of move on to their own thing yeah, I definitely had that feel. You know, some of the other many thoughts that I had in my head while I was sitting in the theater, every once in a while I would go, I did not expect that to happen. I have no idea what's going to happen next. And I kept having that thought again and again. And just every time I was just like, good on you. <laughs> like this, I, I was I was pleased because as much as I do enjoy a nostalgia trip, I would prefer to be watching something that is that is interesting and that keeps me keeps me guessing and keeps me wondering. So I did enjoy that. And, you know, I, I while as much as I agree with the sentiment of of uh, being in when when Luke tosses the, the lightsaber over his shoulder, I I just felt that it was played so um, just sitcom moment-y or like buddy comedy. Like just it it took me out of the movie for a second. I would have been fine with him just like, you know, dropping it and walking it away. But just the very the way that he did it, I was just kind of like, whoa. And then and then I snapped back into the movie and it was OK. But there were there were a number of moments like that, that that the the style of humor um, it felt like it felt like I was suddenly in a different movie, and then and then I was back. I'm going to this make is... the first oh, sorry, of what ahead. will be many specious Doctor Who and Star Wars comparisons here. <laughs> is it possible that The Force Awakens was Russell T. Davis's Star Wars, and The Last Jedi is Stephen Moffat's in terms yes. of sort of subverting Ooh. and teasing? Uh, yes, hundred percent. Because 100%. TFA is a lot more reverent, and I don't think Rusty Davies was particularly reverent of the old of the old uh, classic who anywhere near as much as Stephen Moffat is. No, but it's it's more the the sweeping feels. Yeah. True. Fair enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, but it does have like when I think of the humor moments, like that to me felt like a sort of Russell T Davies kind of. Uh, like the, the how he would poke humor at mm. an existing franchise, but in terms of the sweeping theme and feel of it, a lot more to Moffat. Like whenever the movie is trying to be serious, it's trying. It feels like a, a Moffat thing. Whenever it's trying to be f- silly and lighthearted, it feels more like a Davies thing. <laughs> I, I feel I do like that. I, <laughs> I do like your comparison, Chip, because you know when you think back. 
uh, to The Force Awakens when it came out, the memory of the the prequels you know, was the re- most recent thing that Star Wars fans had on the mind for the last 15, ah, you know, what, enough, 16 yeah. years. <laughs> and so they needed to rehabilitate it. That's why it was almost like they need to sort of like make it approachable, accessible. This is still Star Wars. Like all the familiar things are there. The first line of the movie is this, this will begin to make things right. Um, but now that that became such a hit, the last Jedi can sort of, you know, afford to sort of do its own thing a little bit, which is kind of like what Moffat was able to do. Thanks to what RTD did in bringing back Dr. Who. Mm-hmm. True. Mm-hmm. Like bring, like killing off snow halfway is kind of like bringing Gallifrey back. I'm I'm sure I've caused both Whovians and Star Wars fans great <laughs> anger with that statement. But I'm I can't so t- looking forward to being on Twitter when this drops. But, but I can't tell you how happy I was to see Snoke take it just in the yes. gutter wherever it was. Yeah, like, not expecting I, it. I was not like, expecting yes, that totally at all. Totally unexpected or like just beforehand maybe expected. But I did. I think the I think the way I put it to a friend of mine was goodbye Hugh Hefner's undead wang. <laughs> we, 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 we don't need you. And not even just the fact that he dies. I mean that of course in itself was pleasing, but the fact that he dies without being explained. They didn't yes. bother to give us a whole bunch of like backstory in, in oh, who this oh, guy don't worry. is. I'm I was sure that'll I happen. was so fine with that. It's so like, was I, and I will take I, care of that. I don't know why I was fine with that, but I was. But, you know, there there are some fans who uh, feel cheated that they don't understand everything that was going on about where he came from and all that. Ryan Johnson's answer is, doesn't matter, he did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, my whole like, thing was Snoke in the first place. My biggest problem with TFA was Snoke showing up. I'm like, do we really need another Emperor? Why can't we just have something different? And now we do. So I'm happy about that. Anyway, it's great because we've got this. We still got the family dynamic because, and it's all on Kylo Ren. <laughs> and he is also the biggest problem we have. And he's not an all powerful being. He's somebody who's going to take crap from his own side. It's, it's just way more interesting now because of him. Yeah. I, I think it was really interesting the way they did that, you know, throughout the movie, like that whole reveal that Ray's parents are actually nobodies. There, there's nothing special or important in particular about her lineage. It's very much about, you know, the, for all those months and time spent on all of those hot takes and theories and building oh, things God. up. And, and it's, it's just, it's all swept away with just that. No, she, you know, was nobody from a, family that has no importance whatsoever in this broader universe and it's just only the fact that she and herself was the right person at the right time who had these abilities and could learn how to use them that she stepped forward to do what was right when she was called upon and that's all that makes her important that's all she needs to make her important like i kind of liked that they were just sort of like yeah you know see that fan theory that you've you know been tinkering with and pulling out random details of movies to build up for the past month no we're gonna set it on fire it angered youtube (laughs) and that made me happy <laughs> yeah, the Ray stuff was my favorite. My favorite part of the whole movie. Her, I t- actually, it didn't matter if it was with her with Luke or her with Chewie or her with whatever. I or with, or with Kylo for that matter. I just her story. I think for me was the emotional core of the thing. So every time I got pulled someplace else, you know, even if it was something I was really enjoying, like for example, um, you know, the, the, Alyssa mentioned the uh, the whole casino scene with with Rose and Finn, and for some reason. 
and Benicio del Toro. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, yes, yes, that part may have, it it felt a little extraneous, but I was really liking those characters and watching them interact. But it took me a few seconds to sort of get back into that headspace where I could fully enjoy them because I was just so, so Team Ray all the way through. See, I'm Team Ray all day. uh, And I definitely was for the, she was the best thing about Force Awakens as far as I was concerned. And she's definitely my second favorite thing about this movie. But my favorite was what they did with Luke. I was like, because I've been a huge Luke fan. I've, I've. This is why TFA also left me a little cold because I don't really care about Han Solo. I know that's blasphemy, but I don't. Oh, uh, well, sorry, whoa, whoa. but there it is. I just, you know, whatever. Bye. <laughs> but, Shots fired. But, but, but I, but I've always well, loved. Warren Luke. shot first on this one. I want to point. That I out. sure did. <laughs> uh, just, it's just Luke's. Luke's a more interesting and relatable person. I'll never be the captain of the football team flying around in a cool spaceship. But if I really, really it's, you know, it's a Batman versus Superman theory. But if you work really hard, maybe one day you'll be Batman. That's that's the whole Luke thing. And then it turns out that Luke's kind of a screw up like the rest of us, which I felt really heartening. And I thought that Mark Hamill over the last 30 years has learned how to act and did a great job. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he was. He was incredible. He was. Uh, when Han died in in Force Awakens, it wrecked me. Like, I literally cried for the last 15 minutes of that movie. Um, he did. And, and could barely say two words afterwards. And so I think the impact of that, sort of like, um, it it braced me for the fact that I'm, I'm going to have to watch my heroes die on or off screen, it seems, <laughs> over the next three Star Wars Hello, movies. Hello, end of 2016. Yeah. No. And, uh, and, and so it was impactful i mean it was a great luke movie and everything i didn't cry i didn't cry when luke's even when his last scene his gorgeous last scene with him staring oh, at the wind I, I didn't for that but i music. definitely did for for luke and leia because because part of it is and i don't know they probably didn't intend this at the time part of it is saying goodbye to carrie fisher so that was right. an extra yeah. kick to the gut yeah Oh God! Yeah, I actually, was, the I was... only mo- the only moment that I that I teared up a little bit was when when Ray first shows up and gets into to Luke's little hut or whatever, and she mentions the Falcon, and then he, he just goes, "Wait a minute, where's Han?" And I was just like, "That was the moment. That was the yeah. only moment." One of the criticisms I've heard of the movie has been, um, "There's a lot of failure in this movie." Um, oh, welcome to life. Character characters <laughs> failing all over the place, including our big great hero of the holy trilogy, Luke Skywalker. And I think that that's actually part of the point of this movie. That's it's how you do it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It well, Yoda, absolutely- Yoda failed. Ben Kenobi failed. I mean, it's it's this is a long line of Jedi failure. Qui Gon Jinn failed. And he points that out. He Skywalker. says because they're hubris, which I thought was great. He, he basically yeah. included and then dismissed. The trilogy, uh, the prequel trilogy. <laughs> yep. But yeah. it's one of those things that it, it's it's very much about failure, but it's also about choices and how much responsibility that you have for the choices that somebody else makes. Because Luke did fail. He did fail his student. And, you know, so many people in that movie have been failed by the people that they were supposed to be able to rely on uh, to to care about. And what are, what are the choices that you make after that? You know, both Ray and uh, Kylo have been failed by their parents or their mentors in some way. You know, Ray's been left on the planet abandoned sold off for you know drinking money and had to fend for herself her entire life and her reaction to that failure has been to make herself the best person 
that she possibly can be and to step up and do what's right when called upon. And Kylo's reaction to the failure of his parents and his mentee to protect him and to, you know, guide him through life has been to blame everybody else. And to burn it all down. And to burn it all down, like this is this is what it's it's all about. It's been about since the very beginning. Anakin was failed by multiple people, and he decided, you know, screw it, I'm going to burn this all down with me. Luke was failed by multiple people, and he decided, you know what, I'm going to try to redeem the people that failed me and build something better. Kylo was failed, and he's going the burn it down route. Like this is <laughs> this is what life is about. It's you've got to figure out what you're doing about it. And I love the moment to where you you think for a brief shining second that maybe he's going to have that redemption. You know, the the, mm-hmm. the yeah. connection between I I really thought that there was there was very good chemistry too on screen between between Ray and and Ben and and just getting to watch them fight together in my head. I was like, this is like the greatest fanfic ever, and it's happening in front of me on screen. And uh, then, excuse me, I don't think it involved handles and the head of Davros and the brain of Morbius, so it is not. It's the second greatest. It was so delightful, and then and then because it is it is a, a a good movie, and that there has to be conflict, and and it's not going to just give me everything I want. You know, they they tore them apart and just tore everything down and set it all on fire right after that. But for that moment, I had that like you know emotional peak in the middle. Um, and and of course, no, we this he's our bad guy, so no, he's not he's not going to learn. He's not going to be like. For example, Poe, who, who, let's face it, is the villain of this piece, because if it was not for him going off on his own and sending Finn and Rose away and then giving away the secrets to Benicio del Toro, who then gave away the secrets to the First Order, most of those 30 ships that were trying to escape probably would have made it. Lots of people died because of Poe. Genocidal maniac Poe. But, le- but he learns by the end. I, <laughs> I think I told Chip after it. this movie that this was the most deadly professional development seminar I'd ever seen. <laughs> Yes. Complete side note, by the way, I love the the new wedge is that horse faced alien guy. <laughs> like, he just seems to survive, so I'm naming him the new wedge Antilles. <laughs> well, his head is kind of wedge shaped. It is. That's oh. probably exactly why they killed Akbar. This is the one nostalgia stop that I'm angry about. They killed Akbar. However, they did actually name a ship after Admiral Raddus. So, hmm. yeah. Also. Death of Admiral Akbar. Thought that would have been a bigger thing. That was one moment where I was like, you could have afforded to be a tad bit more like nostalgic on that point. Like you could have lingered on that. <laughs> yeah, that's well, Akbar, a lot man. of Come people on. died. It's not just Admiral Akbar. Uh, a lot Admiral of people Akbar. Yeah. Also Admiral died. Akbar. Yeah. I did actually. That was the only time I like really lost it in the theater when the 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 bridge was shot and Carrie Fisher was floating in space. When that happened, I did actually scream. Um, and so did my all of my friends next to me. So that gave me some cover. That was the only moment i really lost my in theater because i was like i'm not ready to lose carrie i'm so not ready for this yeah that's the extra edge they're like you they gotta get rid of her sometime so is this it oh god you don't know if they yeah. could they could very well be doing it you know like i thought red might have killed her because because mm-hmm. uh, yeah he, he <laughs> like, knew she was there they made that very clear they had yeah. to you know just to be meta they had to do something and presumably doing that in the next movie or in between the movies they'll mm-hmm. explain something but I, mm-hmm. I have to admit, I thought um, with Finn, I mean, given that Rose is this new character, and now with Finn sort of settling his score with Phasma, who has nothing but a cameo in this movie, uh, I was buying hook, line, and sinker that he was basically going to die driving into that uh, that battering ram on the salt planet. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I did too. Yeah. So, when, so mm-hmm. when Rose actually saves him at the very last minute, I thought, oh, wow, that is a genuine surprise. Yeah. 
I'll tell you what else is a surprise. BB-8 piloting an ATST, and but Who programmed droids to massacre people? Because that's just a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, I love seeing BB-8 just laying waste to stormtroopers. But just on a more principled level, it's a bad AI I got going on there. They're in a war, Warren. They're in a war. Okay, well, the cute robots can kill then, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Let's talk about some of the uh, humanoid characters in the movie and the representation. I mean, the fact that after some initial fears, the... Force Awakens cast turned out to be fairly diverse, and there's a lot more diversity in The Last Jedi. None of the characters feel like stereotypes to me, and they all seem to have arcs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, none of them felt like stereotypes except for Benicio del Toro, who felt like Benicio, Benicio del, del Toro. Toro. Yes. Yeah. I wasn't complaining about that. I'm fine with Benicio. Let Benicio yeah. be Benicio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people people let Jeff Golden be Jeff Golden or whatever movie exactly. he's in. So. I wouldn't exactly. want him in this movie either. <laughs> no, I, I do agree that the, that the representation was great. I think one of my favorite moments of the entire film was when uh, – Princess Leia and the general uh, Laura Dern's character were talking to each other and, yes. you know, just just having this discussion about, you know, battles and tactics and 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 Poe and and just like and when they grasp hands and they do the close up on their hands. I just yes. like I didn't I didn't have a weepy moment, but I had a like catching my breath because, yeah, same here. oh, my God, they're treating they're they're treating women as, you know, wise figures without making them sort of like adorable or infantilized because aren't they cute old ladies? No, these were these were tough old broads who were getting crap done, and I loved it. And yes. At first, with Laura Dern's character, I thought she was she kind of came across as a little ineffectual at first, which is presumably calculated in the movie. But then mm-hmm. when she just rams a ship up their butts, I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I was wrong, clearly. Mm-hmm. Just like Poe. Yes. Poe po very wrong throughout this movie. Uh, I, I also thought Rose was a really great addition to the franchise, um, especially, you know, the scene with the page, her sister at the beginning, was just so devastating that getting to see Rose react to that and become a, a bigger part of this resistance, you know, from uh, maintenance tech to, you know, facing down stormtroopers and Captain Phasma on a First Order ship is just, you know, an incredible transformation for that character. And really excited that it looks like she'll be coming back for the next one. You know, you don't have a character survive like that uh, and brought on the Falcon for no reason. Mm -hmm. Um, But she, she brought such an interesting depth to the universe of being able to comment in that casino caper scene of this is, you know, how wealth builds and perpetuates itself across the universe so it, it's exploitation and i was one of those people that was being exploited and this is how i'm finding a way to to move beyond it to end it to help save other people you know she really brought a moral center i think to the movie where it can sometimes get overwhelmingly focused on you know rebellion versus empire resistance versus first order and forget you know the people that it is that they're supposedly fighting for and rose was a just a really great way to bring that back yeah she added a ton of shades of gray because you know yes. you had the, the the you know people are profiting off of this but they're also still people and sometimes the same people are selling selling weapons and ships to both sides and, yeah, and that was yeah, the, it opened thing I liked the universe where, a lot well del toro yeah. goes oh by the way the rebels are buying these ships too i thought that was a nice touch to just, yeah. to just to, and you get a bit of that in rogue one too where you're like oh these guys aren't all perfect by the way 
Yeah, and yeah. Then, yeah. I, I like that there were enough female characters in this that some of them could actually be not entirely perfect. I think, you know, mm-hmm. we get so few in movies and TV shows that when you get them, you grab onto them and they need to be basically everything for everyone uh, all wrapped up in one character. So the fact that they had actually had multiple, um, they were allowed to sort of be human for lack of a better word. You know, they didn't have to be mm-hmm. completely perfect. They were, you know, I, th- I thought that perhaps Laura Dern's character should have maybe told Poe the plan so they you wouldn't think? go off like that. Yeah. yeah, true. I still think we're overdue for seeing queer characters in Star Wars. Here's the thing I think people uh, were hell bent on seeing Poe and Finn get together, but uh, and I don't think that Rose stole Finn away. I think that Poe has always had eyes for BB 8, and that's your OTP <laughs> right there. <laughs> you, saw the, you saw the reaction when it says, Where's my droid? Where's my droid? And there he was, and he runs over and hugs that little ball and thinking, Yeah, this is, this is it. No one's going to take anyway away from uh from well, you see how many little hands BB-8. BB-8. i'm just not going in for it. no yeah. <laughs> so, i think but somebody made a point i don't remember who on twitter about how finn is the nexus of several love triangles there's him and ray there's him and rose and there's finn mm. and poe like why yeah, not i did why doesn't mix it all together what the hell i did not like that uh i i i didn't like what i thought they were maybe trying to get across if <laughs> at the end when you have we have Ray looking over at Finn, who is tending to Rose. And I mean, I'm, I'm, in my heart, I want that to just be Ray looking at Finn and thinking, "Wow, I've been away for a while. I have changed as a person. Things have changed for him. This, this, this guy that I, you know, th- this friend of mine. Because I really never, I really never shipped them at all. And but just the the conventions of visual storytelling that I have been brought up with for so many years tell me that when a character is looking at at other characters like that, that that's you know that's a little bit of a love triangle thing. And I'm like, yeah, I hope that's yeah. not it. Because yeah, I, I don't need it. I don't need it in my Star Wars. I'd rather have uh, Finn, Finn Rose. What's the stupid name? Foes? Or is it Rin? Rin's the better name if you're going to ship, I guess. <laughs> I think one of the things that kind of disappointed me about this movie was that um, one of the new Star Wars novels very heavily implied that Admiral Holdo was supposed to be bisexual. And after the movie aired, I saw a lot of people talking about that scene where she held hands with Leia uh, and all of my queer women were going, they're gay. They definitely had a relationship at some point in the past. And, you know, but it was all, you know, mostly hopeful and wishful thinking that there wasn't anything really in the film itself to to reinforce that which i'm on some level okay with because like holdo had to do like she was busy there were things happening and uh not exactly a time uh where you want to see uh unnecessary romantic things get built in for characters except sometimes you do when they are queer when you need to really sort of establish of hey let's let's show that this universe is you know just as big and wonderful and different as ours is. As much as I would love to see representation of queer characters, I don't really want a lot of romance in in the Star Wars universe, at least not in like the the big tentpole movies. I mean, you had the you had the Han and Leia thing, which you know felt like that was almost accidental. Um, you know, it certainly wasn't written to be and that the way. Luke and, and Leia the, thing, which I really yeah, hope was accidental. Movie, oh, exactly, God, that's yeah. what I'm saying. So, I mean, I just I I've always just gravitated to the the sheer adventure of it, and I just I I I feel like a lot of times media leans really heavily on on romance as as an important thing and something that's required for life and i mean you know there are there are some people who like you know who are aro who don't feel right. like that 
that's a thing at all. So I just I just want I just want a lot of adventure and I want some laser sword fights and I want some droids <laughs> and I want all of that and good people being good friends and having good times together. I so. agree with all of that, Erica, but mm. I have to tell you, I made this just because I'm an old, boring straight dude, that when Holdo and Poe were giving each other the gears, I was like, this is moonlighting. They're totally going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. There's a lot of pairings up to, to settle up in, in episode nine if if this is going to be the case, you know, I, and, mm-hmm. and I hope that the movie doesn't sort of have to feel compelled sort of pair their characters up at the end of this whole thing. So I'm kind of with you. Totally not. No, no. Po, uh, the whole Poldo needs to be a, oh, a God. night of passion. No. That they both think was probably not a great idea at the end of the day. Oh, no. Oh. Why would you put that word in my head, Warren? <laughs> <laughs> Move it's either that or hammer on. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along and Please contemplating do. an edit point at some point just for my own sanity. Um <laughs> Any other closing thoughts about the about the themes about this movie about what this movie is saying before we start talking about how Ryan Johnson said it? Last thoughts about the messages of this movie. I loved Yoda's message. <laughs> I think that was just the the idea that that he is he's still Yoda, man. He is so not tied mm-hmm. to dogma. He yeah, just, that was great. He, it's just so it, – the, the important thing to Yoda is just, you know, doing the right thing and just, you know, being chill, man. And I think he had, for me, what was the funniest joke that I didn't realize was a joke until afterwards is, you know, after he has set the tree on fire and they're talking about the, you know, the, the Jedi books and stuff. And he says the uh, those books didn't contain anything that Rey doesn't already have. Yeah. And guess what? At that point, she's already stolen the books. So she literally <laughs> has everything that is in those books. So – when the movie was done and I was on the way home and I realized that I was just like slow clap for Yoda slow clap (laughs) I think one of the themes that I really liked about this um, in kind of a weird not really intended way is you know you have all that message about the importance of the past um, and you have Kylo in particular telling Rey to let the past die or kill it Um, and I think there was a really interesting balance there between how you are supposed to remember the past and carry it forward and when it is okay to set it aside you know you have these incredible figures that have all of this history and knowledge and wisdom that you sort of need to carry through you know you have General Leia, uh, and you have uh, Luke Skywalker that have accumulated all of this knowledge and experience, and they are trying in some way to pass it along to the people who are coming after them. Um, And then you also have people carrying all of these uh, horrible things that have happened to them in their life. And, you know, for the whole thing that Kylo is the one that says, let the past die, he's the one who really cannot let go of his past at all he clings to it uh and ray is the one who's most it, it, who is, finds it easiest to be able to let that go uh and i thought it was really interesting they explored uh when you have to carry it with you and when you have to let it go well one thing about all that that i just came up with today actually on our slack was was that if if you look at the way just to get socio-political the boomers are hanging on for dear life to their old way of doing things and it's ruining everything for all of us that's kind of us, Gen X and Star Wars and the stuff we love. We don't really, we only really do it with pop culture, maybe because that's all we can do it with. But there's a whole chunk of Gen X people, and I, I'm not any less guilty of this and other stuff besides Star Wars, who just won't let go of the old stuff. And I like that this movie said, "Hey, you got to actually let go of the old stuff. You, you really should if you're going to get anywhere." 
and, but mm-hmm. uh, along with that though it's it's like let go of the old stuff but there's no definite successor you know there's there's basically power vacuums happening here you know the last mm-hmm. jedi is supposedly luke but it's not it looks like it's going to be ray um when snoke dies kylo ren just basically sort of said well i guess this is me now i guess i am sort of the leader now but then there's like a sort of a power battle between him and hux you know the rebellion oh. is confined to the space winnebago basically and that's it for that <laughs> yeah. so like where is the next <laughs> rebellion going to come from you know Speaking so it's, of- it, it it it's all about about filling the void for the next generation. Speaking of Hux, uh, when he first showed up at the very beginning, I turned to Cecily, my girlfriend, and I said, that guy totally voted for Brexit. <laughs> Doesn't he come across as that? Like, he really comes across as a Brexiteer. I'm sorry. This isn't about theme. This is just about great line. I'm holding for General Hux. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just, just trolling him right from the start. That was great. Let's move from this to how the movie was made. And I think this is where we get into a little less of the just sort of raw adulation, because there are things that are extraordinarily well done about this movie and things that are not. I can't figure out where they could have saved some time on this two hour and 20 minute runtime, but I think it could have helped. As I said at the beginning, it's a big, shaggy, shambling mess of a story. I adore it, and I can't think of what I would have gotten rid of, but there were a lot of times that I would agree with Erica that I felt a little lost in the middle of all of this. Mm-hmm. I just, and I yeah, think I, its its aspirations were were huge. Its eyes were too big for its stomach. But but you're you're right. Like it's it is trying to spin so many plates because we are saying goodbye to the you know the original heroes that we had. We are introducing and now getting to know the new folks who we really really love. We are introducing a few new characters to keep things fresh and to you know help with the the diversity. And we are trying to give every single one of them something to do and that is such a tall order i just i think that that structurally it just didn't feel as much like a movie as it did uh, a whole bunch of you know vignettes of like pieces of things that were sort of strung together i think this will be a film that i will feel very comfortable putting on a little bit of to watch when i have 20 minutes and then pausing it and then the next time i have 20 minutes watching you know the next little set piece and scene and whereas you know it, some movies i can't do that with i have to sit down and watch the whole thing in one one sweep i feel like this is going to be much more comfortable for me to revisit on a piecemeal basis i think there were times where you know there's it's it's made to look like things are kind of happening at the same time but clearly not because the rebellion storyline is is clearly advanced from when we left it at the end of force awakens whereas the ray storyline literally picks up the mm-hmm. second after force awakens yeah, ends. that was jarring um, so there, there's that to sort of have to deal with, but, you know, Star Wars, the, you know, the proper Star Wars, uh, trilogy films, not Rogue One, which used subtitles. There's never been subtitles in Star Wars. So they can't really say three weeks later, oh, you know, three weeks back, you know, they can't keep having these little date lines. Mm-hmm. So, but that kind of made the, the slow motion chase, um, and then, you know, subsequently going off to another system to try and find this code breaker and then having to get back before, uh, this slow motion, motion chase ends that, that was a little straining. I think I had a little hard time believing that whole plot. So that, that I think is where, where it kind of got let down a little bit. Well, even the sainted yeah. empire strikes back, the Falcon is fleeing Hoth, has no hyperdrive and yet can f- travel to another planetary system. Physics and Star Wars are in some ways completely incompatible. 
True. It, it's maneuverable, though. That's one, you know, ship, whereas this is like a fleet of giant space frigates that are just sort of going slowly in, in one direction, you know. Uh, yeah. Basically, this, this white Bronco chase, as people have alluded to. <laughs> it's a convoy. I think for me, I was kind of, I think I would have been okay with the length of it had there not been so many moments where I felt like I was required to suspend my belief about how this would work. Because like, yeah, the the chase in the Falcon works because they're working so hard to avoid Vader's ship the entire time. And they like are trying new things. They're going through an asteroid field. They're hiding in a cave in an asteroid, which also turns out to be a giant space worm. Um, they <laughs> are actually hiding on the body of the ship itself and floating away with the trash. Like they are constantly working to avoid being caught and killed instantly. And the whole, well, they're just slightly fast enough to stay out of our range, but also we are effectively ending up at the same distance apart this entire time as we are going was, and like after that initial barrage of ships, like nothing, like you don't call in somebody else to go and get them from like the other side. But it like, that was one of the things like if I think too hard about that space chase, well, I don't even have to think that hard. I, I was thinking it as I was there of, really this is this is it like that's that's to me where my belief sort of goes uh, where it feels long to me like the mm-hmm. chase in empire strikes back doesn't feel long to me because they keep trying things and they are mm-hmm. always working to stay one step ahead that's true there's asteroid fields and like hiding mm-hmm. in that space and Boba um, Fett coming worm. off the back of the ship and yeah, like, yeah. just like them and yeah it, it's to me like i i very much feel the value of having that extra time particularly because that extra time is given to the characters who are people of color. And like, I have to take that into consideration because I see how happy it made so many of my friends to have Mm -hmm. that representation on screen in such a meaningful way that they have an entire story arc and scenes where it's just them. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't even imagine how, how good that must feel. Cause to me, I was elated seeing it just because it reflects the world that I live in and the world that I know and see every day. And that just made me so happy. And the idea that somebody would get that level of joy and then on top of it, being seen, seeing themselves reflected on screen for the first time, it was just like, yeah, I mean, totally worth it. I'm not, I'm not complaining about adding, adding in time for that, but, but yeah. It does feel like the actual scenario to like get them there could have used a you know a few more rethinks of just like but but really is this the best way to get them that extra time and that extra mission? <laughs> I I also was very happy not just for the diversity but because I knew that nerds would get angry about it so I'm like yes yes I feed on your hate. <laughs> mm-hmm. But as far as the casino scene goes I'm like yeah you probably could cut this out and yeah it is a little anachronistic compared to the rest of the movie but having said that if you're going to outdo the can- cantina and every movie tries this is probably the best a cantina outdoing I've ever seen. So I think we've established that Warren is the Palpatine of this podcast. Oh, I, absolutely. Palpatine. I, I like the uh, the homage to the uh, that famous shot from Wings from 1927, yes. Yes. Uh, which is the one thing that struck. I, I know that shot mostly from gifts on the internet than actually seeing the film, you understand. But but I, I like that. I think we covered this a little bit before, but, I, you know, it's a rarity to see sort of the upper class in the Star Wars universe. We see the oppressed. We see the oppressors. We never sort of see the people outside of this whole thing. And it kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of War. World War One about how there's this war going on in the continent of Europe and everyone in England was basically still having parties and stuff because no one they knew was going off to war as all poor people. And so we were seeing that side of things and, and yeah, that, that was that interesting, interesting to see. 
Yeah, I don't think we even saw that in the Clone Wars animated series to any great extent or in Star Wars Rebels. I think this is really the first time that you get a look at that sector, that sector of society. With with Ryan Johnson, I, I'm curious because, and this maybe ties in mostly to, to episode nine, um, because, you know, when he was making this, it was going to be Colin Trevorrow's film. Um, but now, of course, J.J. Abrams is back making it. I'm wondering... How much leeway Ryan Johnson was given to like killing off Snoke and sort of making some of the the changes that he did in his plot and how that was going to perhaps pay off in the original version of Episode Nine and how J.J. Abrams will sort of have to put the toys back together perhaps for his version of Episode Nine. That, that's what that's what I'm curious to see how this movie sort of stands out. I can't imagine that he had very much autonomy at all. I mean, it does right. feel like a Ryan Johnson movie. It doesn't feel like a J.J. Abrams movie but when it comes to the story beats like that i mean whether it was his idea or not that he had to have gotten you know approval from kathleen kennedy Kennedy. yeah yeah there there is a there is a hefty uh, lucas story group that uh, works with all of the people who are making movies and um tv shows to try to keep things together some of the articles that i've read suggest to me that they keep a the story group keeps a loose hand on the tiller that Ryan of course had to run his ideas past Kathleen Kennedy and the higher ups but that they did let him make the kind of movie that he wanted to make you know he they did let him kill off Snoke they did let him do stuff that he brought to the table and he has provided an outline of where the story can go to for episode nine that J.J. Abrams may or may not follow. Hmm. I'm very curious to see how they have to adapt the movie moving forward because it's so clear from the end of this next movie was really supposed to be Carrie's movie. Like Mm -hmm. it, she is so set up to be in a position to, remake the rebellion and set the tone and direction of this movie moving forward um and that you know it it was one of those things that hit me that that final moment where you see her and what's left of the resistance in the millennium falcon thinking you know really feeling the impact of what we've lost both from a in-universe perspective and an out-of-universe perspective, that we have lost this incredible character who was going to shape the next movie, but we've also lost this incredible woman who shaped so much of this movie and was looking forward to shaping this final movie and making it something very much her own. Um, you know, it it that was it that hit me really, really hard at the end of this movie. I, I get the general feeling, perhaps just because we saw a young child at the very end sort of look to the horizon, that I think perhaps the next movie will be not set immediately after The Force Awakens, and perhaps no. some years have passed. Maybe not that many, maybe like four or five. And I think that probably Leia has probably died off screen at some point, and, and maybe we'll see her as a Force ghost, who knows? Um, a sort of like a non-speaking Force ghost, but... Um, I mean, they did do but, the CG Leia in Rogue One, and that, oh, they definitely three years said now, she they will might, not do yeah. that. They yeah. have oh, definitely yes. said they're not doing that with her. So okay, good. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I and I appreciate that. I think we'll probably see a Force Ghost Luke next time around, though. I, I think that's I almost certain. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah. A, that's maybe Yoda. Yeah, he did say "see you around" at the yeah. end. So see you around. Yeah. old yeah. enough by that oh. point that we should have a Force Ghost. Ben, damn it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
Oh, so uh, before we wrap up, let's talk about Ryan Johnson, the director, rather than uh, the writer. Uh, this Star Wars looked so and sounded so different uh, from what had come before. Everybody was talking about the moment of silence when Holdo mm. jumps to light speed through the First Order fleet. At both screenings, the audience goes, ooh. <laughs> in, in in sort of unison um and it, it, that is that is a visceral moment that i've never experienced in film before it definitely did not look like star wars in the same way i, I mean jj abrams was definitely homaging he was definitely bringing uh bringing the old but, thing but he back. brought his own sort of smooth dolly plenty of lens flare, flares yes i'm not even gonna go there even though the star trek movies are terrible um <laughs> <laughs> The, I, I'm I not thought, gonna go there. Like, he, he says going. He there. Did, well, no, but he did bring his own visual tropes, some of which are good, uh, into into Force Awakens, which made it his own kind of movie. But this one seems scrappier. If that makes any sense. Uh, honestly, I think. I mean, there's been how many different directors for Star Wars movies? There was three different ones in the original trilogy, and then George uh, as, came as, back. As long as he, yeah, as long as you have like the wipes. <laughs> The sort of slide wipes <laughs> and the Star Wars opening crawl at the beginning. I think Star Wars could sort of afford to be whatever movie it wants by whatever director is making it. I mean, you 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 look at Star Wars compared to Empire Strikes Back; those are two radically different movies. So to be, to be afraid of Lucas too, like we all deride his script writing and blah 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 and all the rest of it. But if you look at how the prequels looked and the different stuff he did with, like he directed all three of them, but Attack of the Clones, whatever you may think of the film, the final battle looks way different than the battles in the other in the first one and 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 there's an operatic feel to the third one so you got to give him credit for even himself changing up the way things looked in those three movies but i still think that ryan johnson's look was just completely distinct oh yeah it was it was but that's what reminded me of that that attack that battle and attack of the clones which is much more handheld and much more sort of war movie boots to the ground which you hadn't really seen in cg stuff except for ballastar galactica i guess um, which I think came out after Star Wars, Attack of the Clones. Stephen, we lean on you a lot when you guest on the Audio Guide to Babylon 5 to talk about directorial technique and stuff. What did you think of this one? Honestly, I didn't notice as much. Uh, what? I would just, I would just, I would just caught up in the movie because um, I mean, uh, I have not seen any other movie that Ryan Johnson has ever done. Uh, there, there were there were weird bit, you know, because there's parts in, where you just don't see in Star Wars movies, like when when Luke is first his first lesson with Ray is sort of like, uh, you know, can you imagine this, you know, cold and stuff, and so like they use those little cutaways to like different parts of the island. I think this is weird. We usually don't see cutaways shots of what's going on in Ray's mind. <laughs> you, you also don't see yeah. uh, a creature being milked for blue milk. Now we know where it comes from. <laughs> that too. Like, I'm not entirely comfortable with this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, I thought the, the performances were very good as well. Uh, I, I thought he, he worked with those really, you know, really. I, actually, I thought Princess, uh, Princess Leia, I actually thought Carrie Fisher's performance in this was better, much better, in fact, than, than oh, her yeah. appearance in Force Awakens. Way Perhaps better. she was just sort of like getting used to playing the role again after 30 years away from it in Force Awakens. And I feel like she was a much stronger performance than in, in this movie. Um, so, so it's mostly the performances that I that I He got such good work out of Mark Hamill. Oh, yeah. You know what? I, I, I don't get often get a chance to say this about about Star Wars, so I will hear. Mark Hamill 
uh, Yoda is a success, and he's here in this movie as well, of course, as a, as a uh, Force Ghost puppet. Um, Yoda is a puppet. Yoda is a Muppet operated by Frank Oz, and yet we believe him hook, line, and sinker because Mark Hamill in Empire Strikes Back believes in hook, line, and sinker. That's true. And, he, and he's true. the only thing that, that he has to act uh, against for most of that movie. Mark Hamill is one of the reasons that, that Empire Strikes Back is such an amazing film. And so when he, when I saw him here, I, I was not surprised at all that he is he gave the performance that he did because there's always been a great actor in there, and I think he gets a lot yeah. of short shrift sometimes. He also is playing like intentionally a whiny teenager in yeah. the beginning because that's that's who his character is. That's that's where he grows from. Like I think there's a lot of conflation between like the actor and the character, um, <laughs> which Mark has pointed out on sev- several occasions on Twitter, just being like, no, I, w- I was playing a whiny teenager. Like that was the point. Um, so I think, you know, it, it was great though to see him get something so unqualified good, like just good material to work with, great people to work up against, um, and a storyline that really just did his character justice. Like, he took all of those wonderful things that were working with him and just ran for the flipping hills with it. He flicks dust off of his face. <laughs> that was beautiful. A little Jay-Z there. That was beautiful. Obama did it best, but he did it second best. So much, so much, the humor really lands in this movie for me. There's a ton of it, which could have been off-putting, but I didn't think it was. I've had a few people tell me that they found it off-putting, which, like, I I can sort of understand, but there's a part of me that goes, Carrie Fisher added in half of this. I'm totally okay with all of it. Do you give it a pass, Erica? I I already th- said my piece that there were definitely moments that I felt like took me out of the film, not because of the jokes themselves, but because of the jokes themselves added together with the the delivery of the jokes and the way that they were sort of played. So so yeah, there were there were definitely moments that did not ring true for me. But I I like having humor. I mean, obviously, there's always been humor in Star Wars movies. Good grief! Like it's just that before it always felt to me like it was just uh, all of a piece like it just kind of felt it didn't it didn't feel like I was suddenly plopped in the middle of an Avengers movie and somebody was wisecracking I think there's a difference between like jokes that feel natural in the film and wisecracks so to speak and I felt like there were a few wisecracks in this that just didn't do it for me part of it part of it is also the fans who took everything so damn seriously myself included when I was young I took every (laughs) every last stuff that is inherently stupid like you know that is just dumb walrus face come on like the name alone hammerhead which is not his proper name <laughs> like he is an authorian so- i will oh, tell you <laughs> all right so so yeah so so i think th- it kind of caught up with them there and they're like you know we can go one of two ways with this thing we're going the other way we're doing it live I think possibly my favorite gag, at least the one I can remember the best right now, is when uh, when three PO is is trying to give the odds at the success of the attack on the Empire on the planet, <laughs> yeah. and he sort of starts, but then it just sort of gets cut up. And he so he continues to one. <laughs> I just he says he completes quietly to himself only. I just thought it was a because he's a moment. pedant. Of course I, he did. He is a total pedant. He has to finish the sentence. Yeah. My favorite gag in the movie is when the slot machine alien has filled BB-8 full of coins. And then from then on, when BB-8 is traveling around, he's jingling. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. that was beautiful. Then they, then they take it too coins. far and turn him into a dispenser gun. Uh, oh, no, and that's no, no, the that's moment. not too far that. at all, sir. That, 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 was, that, that was, I thought that was great. 
It was a perfect payoff for a moment yes, that Chekhov's was, that was kind of delightful. Because that was it, Mark it, Hamill that was loading loading coins into BB-8 in was. the first place. So. Yes, it was. Although it was a tiny bit kind of like uh, R2 spreads oil against all over the power droids in uh, the opening battle of Revenge of the Sith. I thought as a, it veered a little bit into to prequelism there. But uh, I think it, it perhaps, uh, perhaps it did prequelism better than, than the no, prequels did. No, but the thing did. about Revenge of the Sith is when all that happened, I'm like, okay, well, the usual prequel japes. And then they went into being Revenge of the Sith when it got a lot better. Uh, so here, this is just kind of it. Just kind of fit in better, I thought. Yeah, I think my favorite gag was uh, when uh, uh, Luke tries to get Ray to meditate, and he's saying, "You know, reach out." And she actually like reaches her hand <laughs> out, and he's just rolling his eyes, and then you know, just messing with her. After that, that was my favorite moment. Mm. Um, I'd like to wrap this up with the very end of the movie with a kid and a broom. Um, after they've been playing with action figures. The movie is all about sort of deconstructing legends, and yet in the end, it's the legend of Luke Skywalker all over again, and uh, kids playing with Star Wars toys and thinking about the future. Good way to end The Last Jedi? Yep. It's it's optimistic. It's an optimistic note to end on. You know, you can't really say, hey, there goes the rebellion flying off of the Millennium Falcon where the porgs outnumber the people who remember the rebellion. So you kind (laughs) of have to sort of like, you know, the theme of the movie has sort of like been like, you know, burn the old and and start anew. And and that's exactly what they're doing. They have to having to start an an entirely new rebellion uh, with with the little kid on that planet. Calling it now, we're going to see a porg in an X-Wing pilot outfit in the next Mm. movie. And his oh, name God. will be Porgkins. Yep. Oh, God. Oh. You took it that much further, Erica. Yes. I, I applaud you. I thought you were going to say Porg Dameron. <laughs> nope. I really liked that moment. I think as well because it was sort of, it was redeeming Luke. It was, you know, saying, you know, he may have made mistakes. He was flawed. He failed. And yet he is still an important hero for people all across the galaxy. Needs, you know, convincing these small kids that one day too, they can do something incredible. I liked it. Mm -hmm. I think given the fact that we had so many disparate threads going on and so many different characters, I mean, who did, you know, sort of come, they, they managed to come together at the end, but the fact that it was taking place in so many, so many different realms that, that there wasn't really a good solid place to end it with the characters that we that we had. Like, I mean, how kind of weird and melancholy would it have been to just end on all of our all of our friends and their their rebellion space Winnebago? Like that that that, that would not have been a great way to end it. So um, so yeah, I think it's it's fine to go back to go back to a kid whose life was influenced by this and you know maybe the future of of the rebellion who knows or he just has convenient brooming <laughs> that's all he does <laughs> he never does anything with it he just he just starts throwing the broom around i have no idea where star wars is going from here which is great right exciting mm-hmm. isn't it yes. yeah it's great and i'm super looking forward to what ryan johnson's trilogy is going to be like if this is a t- taste of what we got so far. The oh, only yes. thing that we know about his trilogy is it is not set in the Old Republic. He is not doing a remake <laughs> of Knights of the Old Republic or anything Good. like that. That's that was, all that was, we know. That was a, a aperitif to the frenzied anger now because the nerds were getting angry about that before, like about, I guess, three <laughs> weeks ago. <laughs> about how they're not making Knights of the Old Republic. This thing I wanted is not happening. <laughs> 
I I am looking forward to it in that I feel like he had such a Herculean task to to be able to to pull this off as well as he did, and I think he did a good job, um, even though it wasn't like I said not not perfect. I would love to see what he does with it when he can actually focus on you know maybe two storylines and a small crew of characters at, rather than trying to like fit everything and the kitchen sink in. So I, and not I, being I'm down looking by forward it. to that, but, but mostly yeah. right now I am just looking forward to the next episode, the next installment of this one, because you're right, Chip, I have no idea where it's going. And that is the most delicious feeling. And just to praise JJ for a second, he also had to deal with a huge weight upon him yes. uh, in rebooting <laughs> yes. this thing. So, you know, much as I was like, yeah, middling on the results, at least he, you know, he had to deal with that. So that's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other final thoughts about Star Wars, The Last Jedi? Porgs. <laughs> yeah, Porgs. No, actually, porgs. My, my final thought really is Porgs. And that is that that was one of the few things that I managed that I didn't manage to avoid spoiler wise. And I feel <laughs> like there was they had the right the right balance of porgs. The porg oh, balance so. was perfect. It wasn't too much. They weren't Jar Jar. They weren't even Ewoks. They were just mm-hmm. they were text. lunch. <laughs> I, 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 I love the I love the reason why they're in there is because there were puffins on the island where they shot and it was easier to paint over them than to paint them out. So they had to create a new alien to put over top <gasps> of the puffins yep. that were actually in shot. Here's the thing that. about the porgs, though. Uh, and I mentioned this to Cecily afterwards. I was like, OK, so Chewbacca was cool with finding one, killing it, then cooking it, then almost eating it. But then they give him the doe eyes, and he's like, well, maybe I haven't thought this through. I'm like, but you did yeah. all the other stuff, you pork murderer. So. <laughs> well, none of them gave him those, those you know, puppy pork eyes. Yeah, that's true. Well, that one probably eyes? did as he snuffed the life out of it, the Chewie's monster. Chewie's not a monster. He's, he yeah, can he be is. made to feel guilt. He's a great big softie. <laughs> he found Literally a murder victim. Another pork had killed him. Uh, uh, that reminds me of one other thing before everyone else has their say. I love that Chewie is just a, as good a pilot as Han was. Him yes. flying yes. through the uh, crystal planet was great to see. <laughs> When I was mm-hmm. when he was flying through, I was like, I bet you he's thinking, I've been waiting twenty years for this. <laughs> feel a little guilty, but mostly happy right now. I thought that it was much more appropriate for Ray to be in the Gunner's pod uh, for yeah, that one. Totally. Uh, for that one. Uh, one last comment about Porgs. Porg stuck to the windshield like a Garfield uh, suction <laughs> cup thingy. That was you know what's coming. That was a high moment. That was, that was a high. Moment. And they're up. selling them up. now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that has been the Whovian perspective on The Last Jedi, uh, but we're not done yet. The Incomparable will be back. Anthony Johnson's going to be bringing back his UK-based panel to talk about The Last Jedi. That'll be in the next few days. Alyssa, Warren, Erica, Stephen, thank you all so much for joining me on The Incomparable Network. You thank are you. Welcome. Thanks, May the force be with you. And also with you. We will talk to you more about Star Wars, Big Shock, in a very few days. Take care and have a good evening. Porgs. Porgs. Pulled up. <laughs>